Okay, good morning, good morning, good morning, good morning. You have a seat, we could get into God's Word. My name is Sam, and we are going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, I'm sorry, chapter 12, the second half of it. Uh, No more second period, it seems. So this is all we got for a while, so uh, you're going to see... Pastor Sam at first period style, back in like it used to be in high school, it was crazy, so hold on to your hats. Here we go, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we're going to be uh, in verse 12 and then um, all the way actually to verse uh, 30, I'm going to leave 31 off and uh, attach that to next week. So, here's what God's Word says, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12 says, for just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one Spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? And if the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as He chose. And if all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that it lacked, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gift of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? This is God's Word. It's amazing that God providentially, and I do say God's providence because this wasn't planned, that we would be talking about a passage that speaks so explicitly, the passage in the Bible that speaks explicitly about one body as we have gathered or squished us down into one service. I think it's beautiful. I think it's awesome. I think a lot of you haven't seen each other for a long time because we, I think, are fairly dismissive of when a church moves into two services, how much of a disconnect that actually creates. There's people we just don't see. And so I'm glad we're here together. I'm glad we're snug. I'm glad there's some front row people and there's a couple of front rows up there, but you guys aren't as brave as them, I think. I want to start really big. Okay, I want to, want to Draw your eyes to something very large, that being God, but what God has done. Okay, we have a very big God. I don't know how big the God, the one true God that you think you worship is. The God I worship is huge. And the more I, I think and meditate on, on the complexities of this world and of history, all these things, it just amazes me how big He is. Consider that Several things, but consider that before the foundation of the world, God knew you. That before you were even created, before you could choose Him, God chose you. Before you were good, God saved you. And He called you into relationship with Himself. And before you could love Him, God filled you with His Spirit and sealed you Adopted as a child of God by His Spirit. And then consider that out of all the thousands of eras that have passed since the beginning of mankind, God chose you to bring 
chose to bring you into the world at this time, in this generation, in this era. And if all the billions of families that have existed, God brought you into one particular family with parents and sisters and brothers and experiences, placed you into that family, and out of all the millions of places there are, He could have put you, He put you in this city or a nearby city. Paul wrote in the book of Acts a verse that I think we're fairly dismissive of as he was talking to the Greeks and he said this in Acts 17.24, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is He served by human hands as though He needed anything, since He Himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And He made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. Catch this. Having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward Him and find Him. Consider of all the thousands of churches that God has in this county and the hundreds of churches in just the nearby cities and the tens of twenties and near a hundred that are in this city. God has led many of you, at least this morning, here to Damascus Road Church. A church that didn't even exist seven years ago. Except in the mind of God. And so by His Spirit, God has redeemed us, God has equipped us, and God has gathered us together into this one family of families. Sinners, to be honest, who were once idolatrous aliens are now fellow citizens of the King worshiping Him. Strangers. We, most of us were strangers. There's only about 13 people that started the church and only about five of those are left. So most of us didn't know each other before being gathered into this place as brothers and sisters in one family. It's beautiful. And God did all this. If you read through this passage, you're going to see these words that keep popping up. God apportioned, it says. God made. God arranged. God composed. God appointed. God allotted. God, God, God did all of this. Brought us all together. The question is, for what? Why? Why us? I believe that every single individual, young and old, male, female, rich, poor, educated, uneducated, every single person that God has brought into this church either now, in the past, or in the future, is an essential part that's needed for the whole. Whether you know it, or someone else recognizes it, doesn't matter. The Bible says, in verse 27 here, that we are the body of Christ. Notice it doesn't say we ought be. It says we are the body of Christ. Which means, it's not an imperative command, you need to do this. It is an indicative statement of what is. We are the body of Christ. In this place, we are connected as the body. A body is by definition, right? A body, right? A body, like this, body. It's by definition a collection of different members, parts. He uses the word members in here, and we always think church members, and you can use that as church members, but what he's talking about is this idea of limbs and organs. A body has limbs and organs and stuff to make a body. And he has given all these limbs and, and organs and things that make a body to the church, different people, so that we can display Christ. See, Think about this. The literal body of Jesus Christ is no longer on earth. The literal body. And until He returns, the church is, yes, His bride, but His body. Meaning that Christ is continuing to work as He did. He is continuing to bless. He is continuing to preach. 
He is continuing to serve and to heal and to help and do all those things, but He's doing it through His body. Unfortunately, in Corinth here, what you see that instead of working as a body and being unified, the exercise of all the gifts, the collection that God has gathered into this one city in Corinth is actually tearing people apart. They don't look like Jesus at all. And that's Paul's whole point. They're not unified. They're together. You realize you can gather together and not be unified at all? In fact, as we heard a couple weeks ago, it can be a lot worse. So just because we're gathering together, we have been put in a body together, doesn't mean we're necessarily functioning as one. And they are not. They're exercising their individual gifts that God has blessed them with in a way that is basically making some members feel inferior, like they're not needed. And other members are exercising them to feel superior, so that they think, well, no one else is needed but me. And in their own ways, they both deny God's sovereignty in what He has done to build the church. And what God is trying to do to the church is display His manifold wisdom for everybody, us included, but the world to see this is what Jesus looks like. This is who God is. Through us. And so there are some people here, honestly, who feel, as we'll hear, inferior. You don't feel part of the body. You feel lost. You feel disconnected. You feel like, I don't know what I have to contribute here. And there are others that feel like, man, I'm a rock star here. If I was gone, this whole place would fall apart. You won't say that, but you feel that. And even if you don't feel that, you feel as if you have no needs. You're like a loner at the church. You look at others as if they're more irritating and not as actually they have something to contribute because they're so different. So we'll talk about that. The first people I want to talk to, though, I think is the more common. And the reason I say it's more common because I've heard people actually say this. People ask me questions about this. He addresses in verses 14 to 20 there, those who feel inferior because they really don't believe they have a place in the church. They don't have a role. They don't have significance in the body. They just show up. No one even know that they're there in their mind. It's amazing how many times I remember a guy who used to serve, uh, he did the soundboard at, uh, when we were at the elementary school, and I noticed he was gone for a week or two, might have been. And I emailed him. He said, hey man, I just noticed you were gone. I just want to make sure everything's okay. Something seemed totally insignificant. For me, it's just what you did. He came back uh, the third week and said, you don't know how meaningful that was that you noticed I was gone. Even though he was functioning as some, he didn't feel a part of it. No one actually reached out to him in any way, connected with him in any way. So you have these people in this church feeling insignificant, and there's reasons for that. But the Bible says that God designed the body with different limbs and organs and parts, and so Paul starts imagining the limbs and organs uh, talking to themselves about the roles, right? That's what he does. He kind of begins this little image here. And a foot and the ear start talking. I don't know what they sound like. I think it would be interesting to imagine. I can come up with some voices. But the foot and the ear, they sound discouraged. Right? They sound discouraged like members of a church who feel out of place in the family. And more than likely what's happened to perpetuate this, now some people just come in with this feeling, but what's happened is, a majority of the members of Corinth have started to feel like second class or less than because they've been told or they assume that they don't have the right gifts. They don't have the best gifts. They don't have the gifts that we need. And you got all these people expressing all these amazing like tongues and prophecy and all these things. They're like, well, I don't have that. I must be nothing. I, I can't lead a Bible study. I can't, you know, do X, Y, Z. So I must not be a part of the body. And the Corinthians are trying to make themselves look superior and therefore trying to make others look inferior. And so you have a system kind of devoted to that. But what happens when a church fails to celebrate the variety of God's gifts, when a church focuses only on a couple, like when they're just about preaching, or they're just about worship, or they're just about their Bible studies, whatever it is, very easily, anyone that 
doesn't take or can't participate or lead a Bible study or doesn't preach or doesn't sing, they can very easily go, I don't know, what's my part? And so it's a responsibility of two people, the person who's feeling that, to think differently, and we'll talk about that, but also, and maybe more so, the church to begin embracing those who may feel on the outskirts, may feel like they have significance, and say, look, you are needed here. Doesn't matter what you can or cannot do comparatively to someone else, what has God called you to do? Because what happens when a church fails to celebrate, that's where it leads to is the compare game, when we all play it. We play the compare game spiritually and practically of what I can do and what I can't do. Heck, I play it with other preachers. But I don't like to listen to them because I feel discouraged listening to them. We do it within the church. And what that often leads to is, is people ignoring what God has made them to be. And you begin to covet what God has made other people to be. And eventually when that coveting, you, you, you maybe try like, I, I, I really want to be that. And like, well, that's not, we don't have that need or that's just not you, man. What happens is because you're different, those differences invariably lead to a place where, well, basically these body parts are, where you say, I don't belong. I don't have a place in the body, or at least what I have, the body doesn't need. And Paul says in verse 17, if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing? And if the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged. God arranged the members of the body. We don't choose that. Paul argues that every limb and lash and organ is a vital part, and no one part should ever think of itself as less. Okay? You should not think of yourself as less. God, as I said, ordained you to be here. He doesn't have, quote, extra parts. It's not like an Ikea table, right? Where you get like 16 extra screws. You're like, well, these we just don't need. That doesn't happen in the body of Christ. Goes in somewhere. Maybe I'm the only one that put Come on! I'm not that bad of a builder. They come with extra stuff, don't they? Come on. Jeez. I don't know what you're talking about, Sam. In order to work and grow, the body needs to have parts that are different. It needs to have parts that are different. We can't have 16 preachers. We shouldn't have 16 preachers. The body can't exist or function if all of its parts are the same thing. It says like a pile of ears. What good is that? A pile of noses. Fantastic. A pile of legs. I know it gets kind of gross to think about, but I mean, it's no, it doesn't, there's no function. There's no body there. We have to have differences. Without the body, and a single member is just a pile of flesh. Right? Like, well, if we just have a tongue... The tongue on the ground flopping around. Like, what good is that? No good. Funny. <laughs> if the whole body were one part, it would be incomplete, it would be inefficient, it would be ugly, and it would be awkward. In other words, these differences are there by design. More than that, I love what Paul says in 18, it is God who arranged God who arranged where you are. God who chose who you are. God arranged it. God, so to reject who God has called you to be, gifted you to be, in this church, as, to reject that is not just unfortunate. It is actually to deny something about God Himself. Do you realize that? For those that go, I don't have a fight. I'm insignificant. Whoa, that's just not a conversation about you. You are denying something about God. You are denying that God is good, that God is wise, He knows what He's doing, that God is loving, or He's powerful enough to gift you or to put you in the church that He needs you at. This is about your faith and belief and view of God, not about our relationship. So instead of looking at one another and going, where's my part? You look at God and you say, where's my part? Because He's given you one. If you are a Christian, then you are gifted. 
If you have confessed faith in Jesus Christ, His death in your place on the cross, if you have declared, I believe He rose from the dead to give me new life, if you have confessed that you are a Christian, and if you are a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit. And if you have the Holy Spirit, you are gifted. And if you are gifted and in this place, you are part of this body. You're needed. I don't care if you don't believe it. It's true. And that's an issue you have between your Lord and yourself. You are needed. Your encouragement. Say so you have to get your encouragement is needed. Your service is needed. Your teaching is needed. Your ability to build or to organize is needed. Your faith is needed. Your prayers are needed. Your giving is needed. Your mercy is needed. You are needed. You, Colossians 4.17, have received the ministry from the Lord to minister to us so that we can minister out there. You're needed. Point made. Verse 21. Paul shifts. And he stops talking to the inferior, those who feel inferior. And he starts talking to those who have made them feel inferior. These prideful individuals in the church. The spiritual people, as he would say, who have made others feel inferior. And they believe. These superior people have looked across the landscape of the church and seen all the giftings. And they're like, dude, my giftings rock. I don't need you. I mean, I'm sure you'll have some gifting that's good for somebody, but not good for me. Not even needed necessarily for us. I mean, if you went away tomorrow, we'd be okay. See, I want to get to a place where if you leave tomorrow, we're not okay. If you leave tomorrow, guess what? It's felt. I know every single person that's ever left our church. It's in my head. And it doesn't matter if it's the most irritating person. I'm like, I'm so glad you're gone, right? It hurts. I'm telling you, it hurts. I'd rather him than stay. Let's work. Let's be together. But even in the midst of them, their time here, they shaped the church. They played a role in the church. And it was their season, if you will, to be with us. I want that place where we all feel needed, but that we all want others to feel needed. Not so we can like build up our self-esteem, so that we can build up the ministry of our church and the effectiveness of our witness. you got these guys that are feeling superior as if no one else is needed, and it's really these guys who possess the most spectacular gifts, the gifts that you can see, the ones that are visible, and they've declared basically that we don't need anyone with less impressive gifts. And again, you got body parts talking. In verse 21, Paul says, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, you know. Nor again, the head of the feet, I have no need of you, right? They're looking at each other like, I don't need you. They're actually saying it. I don't know if they're saying it in the church, but like there's this, you can say a lot of things without saying anything. 90% of our communication is nonverbal. Tones, looks, refusal to uh, indifference. This time, one of the body parts is basically saying, I don't need you. And he argues that, you know what, we, you do need each other. In fact, you can't fully live who God has called you to be alone. There are many who will say this, I can be a Christian and not go to church and be a part of the church. And I will tell you, you are foolish. Here's why. You know what? In some sense, you're right. You can go be a Christian without the church. But as one guy I was reading noted, that's like saying you can survive on bread and water. But what kind of life would that be? You would probably survive for a time. But life is not about just surviving. It's supposed to be thriving. It's about growing. It's about what is best for me. What is best for others. What is best for the Lord. It's to be part of the church. Not just attend. Not just go okay. But to be a part of the body. To function as that part of the body. It doesn't help anybody for others to attend if they're the arm and they do nothing. Right? Hey, alright. You know, it just kind of gets in the way. You're there. Thanks for being there, dead arm. I mean, that, this doesn't help. 
But if you are an arm, and an arm that's supposed to function, you are supposed to... We're armless without you! Not only are you needed, you need others. An important part of the body like the eye or the nose can't tell the finger that I don't need you. And you know what? It'll take a little fly in the eye or a booger in the nose to realize how quickly you need that finger. Huh? That's about the best darn analogy I can think of. Without question, there are, there are body parts. I mean, in terms of members of the body, functions of the body, there are more visible and active than others. You can't deny that. I'm up here more than a lot of you. Okay? That doesn't make me a better anything. I've said this before. How do we know the pastors aren't just fingernails on the body? We, always, we have a hierarchy. Like We have a hierarchy of body parts that we just make up in our mind. Like, well, you know. I like play this game with our kids all the time. We do question of the night at the dinner table, and we always go, so if you had to lose an arm or a leg, what would you lose? And they're like, hmm, I think I'd go without an arm. Like, you know, he's kind of like, you, you have a hierarchy. So everyone's like, well, at least I'm not a foot, because a kneecap, that's way better. I mean, imagine life without a kneecap, right? Well, they take your foot off and see what that's like. So we have this hierarchy. It's kind of foolish, and we place like, well, pastors must be the, like, shoulder. Okay, why is a shoulder any better than a hand? It's not! We're all parts. We're all arranged. There's no hierarchy, and that's what he's trying to say. You need each other. You have needs. You can't just be these things by yourself. When someone runs a race, right, which I will never do, but I hear people do that. When they, when they, win, when they run a race and they win it, right, or they're very successful at it. Or that guy that went across the Grand Canyon, right? I don't know if you guys watched that. It was awesome. The guy preached Jesus the whole time across of course, his pastor's waiting in the end. That's a whole other story. But he's preaching, oh, Jesus, I command authority of the wind. I'm like, that's awesome. But he's going across. Now, when the guy came across, they didn't go, hey, good job, feet. When the guy's finishing the running of the race, we go, hey, good job, legs. You say, good job, man. The person is praised. The person, the body. In the same way, we need each other to function. We need each other. And so Paul wants the strong, right? Those who are gifted to value who on the surface we might consider insignificant. There are so many seemingly insignificant things that happen in this church on a Sunday morning and outside this church. Names of people you don't even know are doing it. But because there's toilet paper in that bathroom, you praise God. I guarantee you if there wasn't there, you'd be cursing something in the midst of your business. So the reality is you're thankful for the body part that put that there. There's so many little pieces, not just the gathering, it's the witness. Of, like when we're doing the, I don't know if anyone can even name the people who put together the uh, Strawberry Festival ministry, outreach, whatever you want to call it. Little pieces of people. People making phone calls. People blessing others that you don't even know about. Never visible. These seemingly inconsiderate pieces that we deem inconsiderate, they're not in, insignificant in, insignificant to God. And so Paul challenges like attitudes towards those we might seem or deem weak or immature or dishonorable. In Corinth, you've got a real disparity in the church. In fact, in the very beginning of the letter, it said in, in chapter 1 that most of the church was largely uh, an assembly of nobodies. And so among all these nobodies, you've got a few people that are rich and, and spiritual, and everyone else is pretty insignificant, it seems, at least in the culture's eyes. And so those who are superior in the church, materially and, and spiritually, have deemed others useless in contributing to the work of the church, and in truth... What Paul says is like, those parts that we think are weak are actually essential. Like, think about it. Like one insensitive nerve can cause injury. That's what lepers really, leprosy, 
it's about your nerve endings and everything become they die, and so you don't even know you're getting injured and you usually die because of something else, an infection or something you're not even aware of. You don't feel the pain anymore. Or ever had a hypersensitive nerve? I mean, we're talking about one nerve, right? I remember waking up one time and I had a nerve pinch somewhere, like half my body's numb. Like, well, that's great. Because of one nerve. How significant that one nerve was. I remember playing basketball. I thought I'd be okay with this one nerve. I'm like playing, all right. That isn't what it looks like, but you know. (laughs) And I'm playing, and I seriously, I go to shoot the ball. It's like, it drops right in front of me. I'm like, what? The snarf just happened. I'm pretty bad shots. I figure maybe that was an anomaly. So I'm going. The guy has a breakaway. I'm going to do a baseball throw. Throw the ball as hard as I can. Drops. I had no strength. None. Because of one nerve. Said, I'm done. Walked off. Didn't play for another three months until it healed itself. We need each other. I need that nerve to work. Consider how eyelashes protect our eyes. I was reading about eyelashes. They're amazing. You don't have eyelashes like you're got some issues. Not personally, just you got some lack of protection on your eyes. <laughs> What's wrong with you, eyelashes? You're so eyelashless. No. Think about your sweat glands, right? It may not look, well, you clearly probably see I have sweat glands on Sunday, right? But if you don't have your sweat glands, guess what happens? You become an inferno. You burn yourself up. Your pinky finger. You know, if you're going to lose any finger, take out those two, okay? Not that you're going to plan on that, but if you don't have your pinky, that's like the strength of your grip. The other fingers help you to adjust things like a pinky. Like, I don't need my pinky. Oh, well, contraire. If you don't have your pinky, like that hammer's flying, you know, all right, sorry. These are unspectacular parts of the body, but they're indispensable. Think about like a car. I love the car. We do the car analogy because we're road, right? Keep it the theme. All right, let me just, oil pan, right? Drain plug. One little plug. Go ahead and lose that plug. See how insignificant that is to that whole engine. No oil in that engine because that one plug. So there are no insignificant parts and the engine can't go, well, I don't care if you're out plug. I don't need you. Oh, you will find out real quickly how much it's needed. And so in order for us to to be a body, we can't just assume like the plug, he'll take care of it. We thank the plug. We love on the plug. Man, I want more drain plugs, right? We, We celebrate. We celebrate what is seemingly insignificant and not we go, you know what? You're really insignificant, but I want you to feel better. No, we go, you are significant, though small. You are significant. You are essential. Without you, man, this whole thing would fall apart. Every little piece. I am so grateful for the people who have taught in Kids Road so faithfully. Because let's be honest, you don't know their names. Well, some of you do. Parents might see them. You don't know their names. You know my name because I'm up here a lot. probably know some of the people who play music, but man, the people that are taking care of the infants and walker talkers, don't know. Hugely significant. I don't even know where I'm at. Oh, here we go. That's going to get saucy. Instead of, ele- instead of elevating, what's happened in Corinth, instead of elevating and celebrating those little insignificant, seemingly insignificant parts, they're basically hiding them and not talking about them and pushing them away. And Paul compares them to unpresentable parts. The church has private parts. Yeah, I know. That's a good laugh, huh? Now, you think about that, right? He's talking about a body. And I'm not like just like, you know, oh, I'm just loud. Paul's talking about it, right? What does he say? The parts that appear less honorable, the parts that are seemingly less strong, are the ones that we actually value most. The ones that we cover. And while we hide these for modesty, right? We, we hide certain parts of our body for modesty. Paul talks about that. We all recognize that these are some of the most important special parts of our bodies. Essential to what? To life for the body. And so instead of minimizing and going, we don't want to talk, no, we go, we protect. 
We invest those seemingly insignificant, recognizing how significant they are. How special they are for continuing life of the body. Now, it's unlikely in the church people raise their hand like, I'll be the private parts of the body, right? <laughs> Think about that. They're like, well, I'll be a hand. Okay, I'll be a hand. I'll be an arm, whatever. But the point is made this, that God so composes the body that those parts that we do not see or hear about are often the most important we have. And those who flaunt the spectacular gifts may turn out to be less essential. Yeah, less essential than those who are faithful, quietly, hard-praying, hard-working, contributing, but very rarely seen and maybe often overlooked. See, the ministry of the church is much more than a person or a program. It's the result of a bunch of different gifts and varieties of people and experiences. And the beauty of it is that the variety of gifts is a gift to the church in itself. It's not supposed to create an environment of competition where a foot is trying to throw a baseball. Right? Like, dude, foot, that's not, just hold us up while we throw it, okay? It's not supposed to create competition and you just kind of go, that's foolish. It's supposed to create this complementary cooperation and this dependence upon one another. He says, God is so composed, like God, God has so composed the body. God has put the arm where it's supposed to be in the leg and the shoulder, all these things. He has composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. That there be no division in the body, but the members may have the same care for one another. Like, I care about the foot. I want the foot to succeed. Why? Because I don't want to be falling and stumbling as I try to walk. It says if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. He doesn't want his kids to involve themselves in sibling rivalry. He wants them to rejoice at one another's uniqueness. And what I see often happens is when we refuse to value individual giftings, and I see this because I think I'm guilty of it, we begin basically to lose our own joy and to reveal our own pride. Why is that? Well, what happens basically is that anyone or anytime someone in your family, your church family succeeds, you'll begin to compare yourself to what they're doing and you'll feel depressed. Or any time someone in your family fails and doesn't do as good a job as you may have or think you could, you'll feel a sense of superiority. All from refusing to go, man, we are uniquely made, we are uniquely gifted, and we all are needed. I'm needed, you're needed, we're needed. So caring for and valuing all these parts of the body, especially those who are different than us, even the ones that you don't like, that's another thing we don't even talk about, right? God composes the body like, I don't even like you, hand. But you need the hand. And so you begin to see everyone differently. And that person that kind of just rubs you the wrong way a little bit, you're suddenly like, man, God has put this person in my life to teach me something, to change me, to help me, to make me better. This person over here who's an evangelist, I'm the worst evangelist at all. And they actually help you as you just watch them evangelize and you celebrate and don't feel cruddy that you don't evangelize to anybody. The person that serves faithfully, right? You'd be like, well, I don't serve. Oh, you're just a service person, right? You can like go either way. And instead you go, man, I just I love you for serving and actually it inspires me to want to serve more as well. We see how it works together. And we begin to rejoice with one another and feel pain when someone suffers. When the foot is hurting, guess what? Your body's hurting. When your back goes out, the world ends. Okay? But I'm not necessarily back. Someone else might be. So we rejoice and we feel the pain together, not because it's our duty, because we are so close in life together, we can't help but feel the pain. We are so connected with one another that... We rejoice when awesome things happen. You think about that. If someone in our church is hurting and suffering and struggling, and you are totally indifferent to it, right? doesn't even spark. I'm not saying that you're the first one to rush and help them, 
but you just are totally indifferent to it, don't care, prayer requests come up, you don't even think twice about it, ask yourself how connected to the body you are. Because there should be some aspect where it's natural. Where you just, I'm feeling that pain. Because that's my brother and sister. You may not know every detail there is to know about that person, but they're part of your body. And if you're doing life as you ought, you will feel it. You will feel it. Last part. Paul says, I'm needed. He says, we all have needs. We are each a unique member among many members of the body. But guess what? We don't have all we need in ourselves, and our body is only as strong as its weakest part. Our gifts, Paul has said many times, are designed for the common good, to build us all up, to display this complete picture of God. And so we know, guess what? Our body can survive, like literally the body, physical body, can survive without some of the parts functioning. In fact, we've seen some can actually thrive. Reading National Geographic, a guy lost his eyes at age 12. Or no, 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 it was younger. It was like five months. He was really young. That's like kind of retinal cancer. He's 47 now, rides a bike through traffic with echolocation. Blind guy going like this, making noises, and goes, I can see a building from 150 feet, a car, like all these things. Like, are you joking me? So we see that bodies can thrive without body parts, right? We, we've seen that happen, and, and in some ways, it gets even stronger at times. But even with all the parts functioning in a body, right? A body that has all its parts and functioning the way it's supposed to, we still have bodies that are different shapes and sizes. We are, as individuals, even if we're healthy, Our bodies aren't all the same. And even as a church, we are a unique body among bodies. Just as an individual in a church doesn't have all the gifts, guess what? A church may not either. Our church is a particular kind of body. Even if it's healthy, God has brought certain parts to it and maybe left some off. The Spirit of God says apportions the gifts to whom He wants and He appoints whom He wants to whatever churches. And just as we have to fight playing the compare game as individuals, I think we need to fight it playing as a church. I bought a car recently. You know how many kind of cars there are? Right? I was looking at cars and like auto traders, like sedan, pickup truck, coupe, wagon. You like all these kinds of cars. Well, guess what? These cars have all something in common that makes them cars. They all got four wheels, they all have an engine, like there's certain things, but they're very different cars. We would say, there's a car, but that could mean all kinds of things, like there's a dog, right? There's different kinds of dogs. There are the barking cats that some of you have, and then there are the big St. Bernard real dogs. So, you know, there you go. I'm joking, hey, you know, love dogs, love dogs, all dogs, even the ones you put at clothes. Now... There are all kinds of cars. Well, the same is for bodies, right? We have certain... Look at my kids, right? Praise God, my daughter is shaped like my wife. The last thing I wanted was one of my daughters coming up, like, hey, Dad, you know, like this <laughs> big girl. I love you, babe. But, you know, she's, she's shaped differently than my sons are, right? And, and my youngest son has this waist that's like, you know, this long and these teeny little legs. And like, but they're all healthy. And so we, we see that there's different shapes of bodies, and that's okay. Shaped like different, obviously, sizes and, and widths and, and uh, personalities and skin tones and hair. All these things are different. Think of the church that way. We are a particular kind of body. And as churches, churches, uh, they identify as they have certain strengths and they maybe have certain weaknesses. And God doesn't intend for every church to be the same, but there are certain things that must be here for us to be a church. We've got to preach the gospel. We've got to be biblical. We have to have biblical eldership. We have to administer the sacraments. Those things are, you're not a church unless you're not doing those things. But then there's the flavors of who we are. There are some churches, quite frankly, that they are just about the homeless. Nothing wrong with being with the homeless. 
That's a beautiful thing, but that's what they're identified as. There's the churches that are about uh, missions, foreign missions. They, they just they want to be about foreign missions, and it's not that's the only thing they do. It's just when you see the body, you go, well, that's a pretty prominent part. Some churches plant churches, right? We all get a flavor of who we are, and that's okay. And collectively, all these churches will display the church of God. So that means that we can celebrate even what other churches, mind you, gospel-centered, preaching the Bible, we can celebrate churches that might be a little different flavors than us. We can rejoice with them. We can encourage them. We can even promote them, knowing that we're okay with that. Because we are one body, big C church, and we are little C church, one body within that body. It's beautiful. And you go, well, how do, you, how do we know what kind of car we are? How, what kind of body are we? That depends on who God has brought us. That depends on us. God brings guys and women with certain passions that he gives them, giftings that he gives them, and that is what our church becomes. The church as it is right now, guess what? Never would have defined it this way. Like, this is the kind of church we're going to be. And then people started coming. He's like, this is the kind of church you're going to be, says Jesus. And it's beautiful. So don't for a second think that you're insignificant. You have been brought here. And you have been called to put your fingerprints, to play a role in shaping who we are. And who we are right now may change as we grow. There are certain things that will never change, just as there are certain things in the bodies that will never change. But there are things that will grow and, and, and change and, and evolve, and, and we will look different now than we do five years from now. And that's a good thing because different people will come and shape it. And so we are all called as the church to be this church, Damascus Road Church in this place, and it's a beautiful thing. And we are different than other churches, but we're not better. We're just different. And we can love our brothers and sisters in Christ in the same way we love one another and see those differences and celebrate. Our bodies are different with different parts, and that's okay. But I will say this as we close, the one thing that will end our life as the body is decapitation. That's when a body stops. You can lose an arm. You cannot lose the head and keep going. Can you? The Bible is very clear about who the head of the church is, and it's not the pastor. The head of the church is Jesus Christ. And without a head, a body will die. Churches die because they get decapitated. They lose Jesus. That's the one thing we can't lose. There are many ways that God will change our church. There are many ways that it will be evolved and, 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 and it will grow and people will come and people will go. And sometimes, you know what, we might look a little ugly because we don't have certain parts. We not, might not be able to function sometimes because we don't have certain parts. That's okay, but we will always have the head who is Jesus Christ. And if we lose the head, we've lost everything that brings us together. Because our unity is created through trusting Jesus Christ as Lord. And this is a result of grace. God doesn't save us because we are gifted. He gifts us because we are saved. And knowing that, here's the Gospel peace. You realize if you for a second believe that I'm not needed, you're denying the gospel. And if you're a second believe that, you know what, we don't need John, we don't need Tim, we don't need Bobby, we don't need Tina, we don't need them, you're denying the gospel. Because here's what the gospel does. Knowing that our Lord Jesus Christ came and paid our debt. I did nothing to contribute to my salvation but give Him a bunch of sin. And He died for it all in my place buried it forever, and then rose and gave me new life, I did nothing except receive this free gift that He gave me. And the Gospel of Jesus Christ should humble us. It should humble us. And it should guard us from feeling superior to anybody as individuals as a church. Why? Because I didn't deserve anything. And if you don't believe you don't, that you deserve death, you don't believe the Gospel. You don't understand grace. You don't really understand what you've been saved from. The Gospel protects us from ever becoming superior to someone else. Ever looking down on somebody and going, yeah, you just, you know, 
not so much. I don't need you. But the gospel also protects us from feeling inferior. Because we are loved. We have been given everything. So don't for a second reject the gift that God has given you. Because to do so is deny what happened on that cross for you. And to say, not such a big deal. Not such a big gift. Huge gift. He died for you so that you would feel approved and loved. Not superior, but special. Special. Romans 12 says it this way. For by grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace, God's favor, not my choice, the grace given to us, let us use them. Don't waste your gift. You're making our body look ugly or inefficient. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in serving, in one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in his generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness, act according to your faith. You may not be able to teach as good as someone else. There are better preachers than me. And that's difficult for me to accept. But I realize God has graced me with a certain amount of gifting. And I dare not go, I wish I had, and just go, thank you, Lord. I'm going to use whatever I have to the best of my ability so I don't waste it. And when I come before him, he says, well done, good faithful servant. You did what you were supposed to do with what I gave you, and you didn't try to become something that I didn't say that you were. Be who you are in Christ. Be who you are in Christ. That's where joy is, but also that's so that we can be who we are in Christ as the church. Let me pray.